Hello and welcome to Touchline. My name is Kasper Els. I'm here with Mark Cameron. Hello, Mark. Hi, Kas. Nice to be back on air again. Um, nice to chat some positive rugby things that happened throughout the world over the past week. Um, very special guests we have in studio. Lots of stories to tell about them. Um, and I'm looking forward to the topic specific that we're going to discuss tonight. Obviously, Jeff is in as a, as a coach and Kevin is in as, as a player. But uh, we'll wait for you to do the good introduction to these two young men. Thanks, Mark. Yes, we have uh, Jeff Harper here with us. Um, Jeff's been a, a coach for 16 years. He's been with College Rovers from 2004 to 2018. Then he moved to a Mums and Toti Rugby Club as head coach from 2009 to 2019. Jeff then moved back to College Rovers where he's now assistant coach and head coach Jeff, second team. Second team and then also with uh, a couple of the guys involved at the, at the club. Yes, at yeah. the club. Yeah. Um, Jeff also coached um, some of the provincial sites, the KZN Wildebeest, Sharks 15, Club 15, and various others. Welcome, Jeff. Yeah, thanks. I don't need much of a CV after Mark called me young. So thanks, Mark. It's okay. <laughs> this is the only place it will happen. <laughs> <laughs> and then also we have Kevin Buck. Kevin played his rugby at hooker at school. Um, that's why we've got Kevin here. We're talking about hookers and flanks tonight. Kevin played at hooker from 2002 to 2005. Kevin played for the Kempton Wolves, where he then also played Falcon under 18 Provincial. In 2007, he went and joined the Leopards, where he was there for a season. Then in 2008, he joined the Falcons again. Kevin <laughs> moved to Tati in 2009, where he joined our first team. He played at Hooker for our first team, the first years. We then moved on to play flank. Kevin also captained our first team for a number of years, and he played in the Club 15. He played for the Wildebeest, and he represented Natal at various levels during that time. Welcome, Kevin. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. It's good to be here. Uh, just uh, uh, sorry, sorry, Gus. Uh, with the introduction, Kevin um, has a has a fun fun memory of when he was quite young. Well, younger, I think, under twenty under twenty one, when he joined Toti Rugby for the first time. I think Jeff and myself. It was pre season. We were in the top field, and then Kevin approached us out of nowhere. Um, and he asked if he could join our club, which obviously we were quite hesitant to see him play for us. Um, only kidding, Kevin. Um, but yeah, we were we were quite keen to have him as a youngster on board. We didn't know, you know, what his capabilities were. But uh, a fond memory of 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 Kevin um, and T. We were speaking about this the other day to say that we need to bring some rugby story. This young gentleman, when he was a youngster, he represented the Falker under twenties. Am I right, Kevin? Yeah, that's correct. Okay, so um, we were fortunate enough to, to get him to sign to come and play at Toti Rugby Club. And then obviously with him playing for the Falker, playing Curry Cup and that, he had to represent his province on a Saturday. 
and uh, he played for us on a, on a Thursday or a Friday. So he informed his union that um, his club comes first, and we'll take it. We'll take that one. Thanks, Kevin, for that. Always, um, so what? So what he did was, and this is the commitment that you don't see often, is that Kevin flew to Durban on a Tuesday, I think it was, to train with us on the Thursday, play for us on the Friday. Then he flew to Johannesburg to represent the Falker on a Saturday, and he trained with them on the Monday, and then he came back on the Tuesday to train with us, but he always played club rugby first before he represented his province. So uh, that speaks testimony of, of the man that is sitting in the studio. Thanks, Mark. I just, I just appreciate that. I just want to help you right there quickly. You said when I was a youngster. I'm actually still young. Um, <laughs> just not when I was a youngster. I'm still a youngster, so just to help you there. But yeah, that was, that was one of my, my great rugby memories as well. And to say, to bring that in is just, those were the times when I was really fit. So now I'm part of the more experienced squad. Let's not say the older people, more experienced people. So I don't have to be that fit anymore. You have to play smart, not hard. <laughs> true words, true words. You know what, Mark? If we can get that kind of commitment from the from the youngsters today, I think we'll uh, we'll be in for a chance. Huh? No, hundred percent. And I, and I, and I think rugby has changed so much. And it's the fact that that Kevin is there to speak about flanks and, and hookers and the roles and responsibilities 100%. and how it's changed. And obviously with Jeff um, being a coach there all these years and, and playing lock, those things will come out in the fall now while we're chatting. So, but yeah, it's, it's great to have experience in the in the studio, and it's great to have people that that have passion for rugby like we do. Yes, definitely, Marky. I think when you when you get your age, you can't talk about years ago. You got to start talking about kilograms ago. Because uh, I met Kevin. I met Kevin twenty kilograms ago. <laughs> I think Jeff's talking about me now. So Muscle is heavier than fat, Jeff. Well, luckily. <laughs> Yes, yes, let's carry on. <laughs> yeah, okay. okay, let's talk about hookers and flanks. What is the, the responsibility of a hooker and a flank in, in today's game? The reason why I want to talk about hookers and flanks is because in today's rugby, a hooker and a flank is almost the same person. Yeah, age before beauty. Can I, can I start this conversation? Yes, please, That's why I said and age before we're beauty. Gonna, we're going to start with hookers. <laughs> and I've got an erstwhile hooker sitting with me. Your first responsibility is to find your jumpers in the line-out. That's your first responsibility. I think that's why some of my, let's call me follically challenged now, because uh, I pull hair out of, because of, of, of hookers not sort of paying too much attention to, to what is their primary, one of their primary tasks. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's I think any hooker you speak to is going to tell you that. But how many pay real attention to to that? It be it at practice time or or in their own time. I don't know. But if you can also, I think I think it's also being the boss at scrum time. Um, it can't just be. It just can't be the lock shoving. The hooker's also got to be the boss in the front row. And then you get a good engagement if your if your hooker is the boss at scrum time. So those those to me are the the two most important attributes of a of a hooker. Um, and then Obviously. in general play? Yeah, general play, it becomes, it becomes a difficult question to, to give a definitive answer because you've got, we spoke a little bit earlier, off air if you want to. Um, there you, I'm the type of coach who's going to perhaps pick a, pick a hooker for, for a different, different type of circumstance. If you're going to be playing against a, a, a team that is perhaps mobile around the park, they themselves have a lighter pack, I'm going to go more of a hooker in the line, in the, in the likes of a, a Skulk Brits, if you will, or a, or a Malcolm Marks even, although he can 
yeah, he can cover both. He can he can cover both types of hooker. But if you're going to play against a, a heavier, more physical, perhaps on a slower field, then I'm going to go for the the heavier the heavier guy. Um, okay. So it's it comes down to to what your what your choices are on the day and what the circumstance what circumstances present present themselves. So <coughs> that's the way I'm going to go. But I think most people now want to go for the the more mobile mobile, mobile hookers and the, that then can also then give you that that strength and grunt during the game. So Jeff, if, Jeff, if I can just come in there with a, with a question with regards to the hookers finding their jumpers. Um, obviously, in in the game of Raga, the obviously the hooker needs to throw into the line out for the jumpers, whether they lose forwards or locks, need to get into the air. Are there different scenarios where, and I suppose it's a short, quick ball compared to the back ball, where the hookers need to find the jumpers or the jumpers need to find the hookers, if it makes sense what I'm saying, whether the roles are slightly reversed or is it always just straightforward, the hooker has to find the jumper that's in the air first? Uh, you've got to go double top mark all the time or you've got to, you've got to get the ball in quickly. Um, a lot of guys will be the, the advocate of, of, of the jump throw. Um, you can catch teams off guard with that, but you'll notice now a lot of, a lot of um, play now is, is, is going on the throw jump you can get you can get your locks and your and your not your locks your your props and your and your support players moving to to try and beat the player on the ground before, and then you're going to beat him in the air. Um, yeah, so your your back ball is generally um, is, the, is is more the is more the jumper, but it's also not the safest option. Then depending on the on on conditions you're playing in. So if you want if you want to if you want to be almost sure of winning a ball, you've got to shorten your line out. Um, mm. If you want to if you're close to the line and you know you want to sort of target a drive, then you've got to go more full, get get all eight in. But yeah, so your so your preference is obviously the the, the hookers finding the jumpers correct. in the line. Yeah, that's my preference. So, so Kev, sorry, I'm putting you on the spot now. We're still with the coaches. I'm getting Can a chance now as well. Thanks, Mark. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> Can I ask you this question then, as as a player? Um, I know when Jeff and I coach together, and, and it's not only us, I mean, it's all coaches that have that debate. Um, when we we all stand for argument's sake and say, since Kevin is having a bad game for argument's sake, he can't find his, his jumpers. But the, the chemicals in a, in a line-out is quite difficult. It's, it's not as easy as just throwing in and finding your jumpers. Obviously, there's timing things with your lifters and the jumpers that need to go up and that the rookers will then say, but coach... I'm throwing in, but they're not catching it or whatever. So what would you say from a player's perspective or from a rookie's perspective makes that difficult if the coach, like Jeff says, you need to find your jumpers. So in theory, if we do analysis, we see that you've missed your target. Yeah, Mark, that's what I wanted to get to now when Jeff said, spoke about the primary roles of a hooker where he said that lineouts and scrums. It is, it is the primary role of a hooker to, to find his jumpers and obviously get his lineouts and also at scrum time when he scrums, hook the ball and those things. But it also, it's a, it's, a, it's a team game, if you can put it like that. I think when it comes to lineouts, it, is, it starts with the communication in a lineout. I mean, I can be the best hooker in the league and you can throw in. If, if you don't know where you're going to throw, if you don't get the call early enough and you don't know where you're going to throw, I mean, then the throw is pointless, the jump is pointless. So I think it starts with the communication. If if the communication is not there, the lineup is going to be is going to be a mess. So yes, it is still the primary role of the hooker to find out what the call is. I mean, me as a hooker, I won't 
go and just throw a ball into the line out if I don't know what the call is. I mean, you, you slow it down a bit and you get the call. Rather change the line out call and know what the call is than, than what you just throw the ball and just hope for the best. No, I agree with you. I just wanted the listeners to to understand that part. Um, I think as the game as the game changed and as you got uh, more mature, as you wanted like to call it, um, I think you were quite thankful that uh, that you had an injury, unfortunate injury that stopped you from playing hooker. That we moved you to, to lose forward because uh, took your pressure away from trying to find your locks. Yeah, Mark. I don't know. Hey, I think <laughs> it's. It's a, it's a, I don't know, win, lose, I don't know what the situation you call it, but the thing is, I, I loved hooker. My whole life I've played hooker, and the fact of just moving to, to lose forward, I mean, I'm probably going to speak about it now, now. It's, it's one in the same position if you speak about a different type of lose forward and a hooker, because in today's game, they almost play both the same role. The only extra responsibility is the lineouts and the scrum now, but at, in game time, I don't know, you're, you're focused on, on your responsibility, so pressure, yes, is there. But it's also if you know what you are doing, the pressure is less. And, and like you said, if you've got the people that back you, you you have got more you've got more confidence in what you need to do as well. So certain players like the pressure; they perform better under pressure. Certain players don't want the pressure. Um, I just think it's it's the type of player that you want to be that that just gives you that extra boost. One hundred percent, I agree with that. So I mean, that's probably playing rugby is for that same pressure, you know. So no. no, I agree with you. Marky, I know you, you spoke about Kevin, and I'm jumping in here perhaps too much here, Cus, but I think, you, I think you, you spoke about Kevin sort of being relieved that he's moved from, from hooker to, to loose forward, and that may well have been spoken in jest, but just to and maybe to, to draw a, a clear picture for some of the people maybe listening there. So from a, from a hooker and a, and a loose forward position, so if you, if you measure a, th- those two positions specific, and you're measuring them on their on their key performance areas. Um, and if I want to call that, if I want to call that collisions, Kevin's laughing at me now because he knows he knows. Um, and, a, and a player gets measured on this during the game, so it's, it's it becomes a bit of a, a bit of a swear word in their life. But it is what it is. So a, a hooker needs to reach a target of between 40 and 45 collisions per game. Okay, and then a loose forward between 45 and 50 collisions in the game. So that it, it isn't too great a difference in the grander scheme of things between a hook and a loose forward of the, of the amount of work they're going to get through. And to give people a clearer indication of this, Mark, and you as a backline player will understand this because backline players do zero on a rugby field, but we give you a little bit. Um, so I, at, I, must, I must say, um, with you as part of my team in the past, we've had to do zero because we've got any from the floor. So here's, here's an example, Mark, and, and, I, and I, need you, I need you as a backline player to explain this to me. So I a hooker on his KPIs has got to hit between 40 and 45, otherwise he's in trouble. A loose forward has to hit between 45 and 50 collisions per game. Otherwise, he's in trouble. Your props, yeah, you kinda, you've got to understand that there's got to be a role for them. So they've got to go between 30 and 35 collisions a game. Locks, 35 to 40. Now, please explain to me, as you as an outside back, how do you only have to reach between 15 and 20 collisions per game? How do they even pay you? <laughs> well, well, it's, e- it's actually quite easy to explain that, but... Um 
I don't want to jump the gun because we're doing position specific and we're at, at hooker and, and flank. So the back yeah, line know, will come know, into I the know. plane two to three weeks' hey, time. So, um, But what we will do, do, Jeff, we'll invite you back into studio so that we can teach you some of the things that the back well, line Inside bat stuff. Okay, yeah. So, <laughs> Mark, that was a sidestep of note. Mirrors and Jalen off the shave. How to comb your hair. We'll talk about that. Yeah, and how to comb your hair. Sit in a circle, speak about your feelings. Well, you know, that's why the back so there is to sidestep and whatever. So um, depending on, on, on which uh, side you play against, sometimes the backs don't even need to clean because, uh, you know, you get so much ball that you just run the whole time and score tries and so forth. Okay, so, let's, let's, let's move on to the next one then. Um, let's talk about physical attributes of a hooker. Jeff, what do you think a hooker should look like? Yo, that's a... It's Not a, like ever. <laughs> you get, you've got it. You've got it. You've, we've seen so many different types of hookers and so many body shapes. And people say that rugby... I don't want to sound cliched when they say that, that rugby is for all shapes and sizes. It probably is. But if you... I mean, we can't see him now, fortunately, in the studio. If you take a, a, a hooker like Kevin, that's, a, that's your, your conditioned hooker. That's, uh, if they did a skinfold test, it would be pretty good would be in the mold of a of a I don't want to keep on using the names but of a of a Skulk Brits a Dan Coles as an example from the All Blacks or a um, Malcolm Marx one of those um, Bonombi those kind of hookers but then you also get you also get the, the the bigger hookers and they have their role to play too so is there a what should a hooker look like it's a difficult question to answer there's no to me there's no specific it depends what on, on the type of game you want to play and the opposition you're playing against they can both bring both both body types, if you will, will uh, will serve you well. I think your 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 primary role as a hooker just starts with just upper body strength. When you have to have leg strength, leg power, and stuff. But I mean, Jeff speaks about two different types of hooker, but I think both of them still need upper body strength. You need you need strong strong upper body, chest, shoulders. You need a strong neck, scrum time, core has to be strong. Everything relating to your position, especially yeah. in a hooker. I mean, yeah. you you can't worry about how fast you're going to sprint over 100 meter being a hooker. I mean, that's something you need to work on separately. Yes, yeah. all those things count, but I mean, you can't go and put a wing on hooker that's got a different body ball. So as a hooker, you need to have a, a strong upper body strength. You need to know how to carry balls and, and be strong in collisions as well. Scrum time to stay up, to stay stable, stay square. All of that, your core, your neck, everything needs to be strong. So I think those are primary things you look at for a hooker. And then, like Jeff said earlier, then you get your two different types that you choose for specific type of roles. And you get a hooker that's more lean and, and more faster around the field, quicker, agile. And you get a stronger, bigger hooker that you can get the, the collisions on and the heavier back. So I think just the primary thing is just your upper body strength. And you have to have leg power, obviously, when carrying a ball and do the different things that a hooker needs to do. Okay. I agree with you, Kevin. I think, I think if you look at any position um, in, a, in a rugby team, your primary function you need to fulfill those, you need to tick those boxes first. Um, you know, if, if you're a hooker that you can't, you're not strong enough to scrum properly or get your jumpers in the line out, but you're quite agile in the back line and you can link up with the back line and that, then in theory, you're not fulfilling the hooker's role. So your hooker's role is paramount to first phase, if one can call it that, yeah. um, to get all those right for you to, to do the balance. So I, I agree with that 100%, regardless of, where the times have changed for hookers and that and the shapes and sizes. I mean, you get larger guys and thinner guys that aren't or as quick as that to get to the breakdowns and that. So, um, but I think as a, as a hooker, as a prop and as a lock for argument's sake, you need to do 
primary function first before the balance of that can come in because your your first phase ball is always vital to set up attack play or things like that going forward. Yeah, that's true. And then we can also we can also talk about what is the perfect hooker. Hooker, um, we to me the perfect hooker is the one that's going to is going to link with the backs in open play, but also is going to defend your ruck area well and stop 130 kgs running at you. Um, he's, going to, he's going to make a positive tackle defending a ruck rather than a neutral or negative, or negative tackle. That, that sort of, now you start looking at the perfect hooker. He may, not, he may not be the biggest guy in the world, but if he can do, right. if he can do all of that, that is the type, of, the type of guy you're looking for. Now, talking, right. about, talking about the hookers linking up with the, with the backs, let's touch on the, let's talk about the, the flankers now. Your open side flanker and then your blind side flanker. What is the main or the primary responsibilities of those two players? I think the, the, the easiest way to explain it, I'm jumping into <coughs> Kevin, and he's, no. he's, a, he's, a, he's a master of that art, Go particularly, particularly the, the carrying role. And then also does well at, pretty well at stealing. But if you want to talk open side and blind side, the long and the short of it, open side, focusing on focus on the breakdown from an attack perspective, and on defence, looking for turnovers, where where your blind side is now going to be the one focus on the on the carries on attack and making the big hits. Then again, around the fringes or or perhaps an open play. Those, I suppose, if you want to put it in simplistic terms, that's it. So, so open side walk to work towards the ball, and blind side carry. Yeah, just but Jeff also just to add on to what he said as well. That is also primary roles, and then also at supporting roles as well, especially your blind side, that's your stronger carrier. Your open side is more the guy that gets stuck into the ruck and steal your balls and stuff like that, but your blind side is your six. Let's put it a six for some people that's confused with the blind side and open side. Um, that the guy that carries the ball has to be a support player as well. He has to be the guy taking up ball, getting your meters, getting go forward ball. Um, where your seven is more, he runs a line as a supportive player. If, if a the tackle has been broken. The guy gains over going to, over the advantage line. He's that guy that you can offload to. That's there to support you and always be there. If you go down, be the first guy cleaning, ceiling, whatever you need to do there. So your six will be your bigger, stronger guy carrying the ball up. And then your seven will be more your supporter guy just securing rucks and malls. So, so if we say that and we look at the, I don't know if it, it's a myth or something like that, Coach, you can maybe come in here. Yeah? To say that in the past, your your smaller guys or your shorter guys, like the Heinrich Brasseurs, for argument's sake of the world, they were traditionally your six flankers. Um, um, not traditionally a real ball carrier, although some of them can carry. Um, and your and your seven flankers are those the ones that don't traditionally, uh, years gone by, um, not work towards the ball. Because there's a change today. If I can ask three questions in one, I think I think there's. I spoke about the term six and seven open side blank flank. I don't think that there's a six and seven anymore because you can't really go on that. As a flank, I know as well, we do alternate according to your job specific. I mean, as an open side flank, you get the bigger side of the field. Blind side, you've got a smaller side of the field, but each one has got his own responsibility. So I don't think you call it a six and seven anymore. I just think to identify a blind side flanker rather as a as a ball carrier and a and a open side flanker more than what you would call your Heinrich Persos, those guys that guys got went into the ruck and actually got more physical. Yep. Now, I'm asking that question because obviously around the world, and we saw weekend with, with the Pro 14 and uh, in New Zealand, the North versus South, I mean, if you look at the flanks, um, most of them are all the same height. 
Um, there's no real difference. They're all well-built athletes, but they've got defined roles at the end of the day. I think your role definition, Mark, and also, again, with, with to me and the size that I've coached, I prefer to have... I prefer to have a, a loose forward or a, or a flank if you want to, is to work towards the ball and try, and try and slow opposition ball down rather than just play left and right where you've got two carriers um, or, or two players that are going to go after the ball. So, so, so if, you, if you say that from a coaching point of view, would you chop and change week in and week out depending on opposition? Um, if, they, if your opposition have where they flood the breakdowns for argument's sake, would you try and get... And we obviously you would like to get ball, and if if they flood it and you don't get quality ball, you've got a problem. So would yeah. you then traditionally try and go with two open side flankers, or you'll still leave it as an open and a closed, or how would you do that? Are you referring to attack or defence when you're saying flood the breakdown? Are we flooding a breakdown, or is opposition flooding a breakdown? Your opposition is flooding the breakdown. So obviously when they carry and they're going to keep the ball, so you need to get your Lucy's into, yeah, you, into that more. If if they're flooding a breakdown, Mark, then I'm going to target a breakdown. So they they may flood one or two of those breakdowns, and I'll keep a loose forward out, and then I will I will target specific areas of where they're going to carry that ball, rather no, than just enough. and rather than just get rather than get my six or seven whichever one, trying to go in to slow a ball down or to or to recover the ball. If they if they are working at the ruck all the time and they're flooding that breakdown, as you say, I'm going to I'm going to target rucks, not okay. everyone. I'm going to target certain. So rucks. so many many coaches would put two and the the box for argument's sake have done that in the past as well where they put two um, six flankers on the on the park or two open siders or whatever so from a coaching perspective listening to what you said now the ideal would be to stay with the original six and seven and not have two of the same it also depends on the state of the game if you if it's you are two, two points ahead in a game and you are now wanting to close out a game now we can come back to hookers as well. I'll then put on a bigger hooker that's going to look after a ball better for me. Grind out the game. You can do the same with loose forwards. You can just get somebody just on, keep on grinding. Just keep on punching it up because you want to keep it close. So it also depends on the state of the game. But if, you're gonna, if I'm going to start a game, me personally, I'll go with a, I will go with a traditional six together with a traditional seven. And then perhaps as the game unfolds, I'll unload a bench accordingly to, to how that game is playing out. Exactly. Okay, now talking about that, um, physical attributes for a six and a seven, will that then differ or will it stay the same? Um, six and seven, I think coming back to the hooker thing, it's, it's the same thing. It's, it's core strength, upper body strength. Even if you're involved in ball carries or at ruck time, I mean, for you to, to ball fight and tackle fight and, and everything that you need to do physically, you have to have that upper body strength to not lose a ball. Um, leg power, so it all comes down to the same primary strength roles that you have to have for hooker and loose forward I think majority of the positions um, <clears throat> but nowadays your loose forwards actually keep up with your your backline players as well regarding to speed um, so I think a, a big thing for for loose forwards as well is to work on their, their speed as well and their agility and explosiveness also that's where that just adds on to your more your tight five where well locks also but explosiveness with loose forwards is a, is a big thing for me as well because you are so mobile around the field, you can't really be one of the slower players. So you have to keep up with the, 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 the quick guys as well. So, Evan, if I can just ask from a, from a player's perspective, and, and Jeff, as a coach, you can come in here too. Um, ideally, in a, in, a, in, a, in a proper game where things go as a, as a, as a team, 
Um, you need your, and, and I'm, I'm asking the question now because obviously next week we start eighth man, and then I can't ask this specific question to you guys. Um, I just want to find out if uh, years gone by they used to say that that tight five, which is now your your prop, your hookers, I mean your props and your hooker and your locks. If your tight five don't do what they have to do very good, then the loose forwards, which is your six, seven, and eight can't actually roam the field to link up with the backs and that. Is that still a fact in today, the modern-day game? Mark, it's a double-edged sword. Because we talk about tight five. You can't expect tight five to work at scrum time alone. They've got to, you can't, they can't work in isolation. So your loose forwards have also got to, got to ensure that the set-piece functions. Um, so, the, so the looses have also got to work at the set-piece. So tight five, you can't expect them to do the job on their own. Okay, once the game opens up, then the loose forwards can play towards their own strength. But when it comes to set piece, those loose forwards, whether you're six or seven or eight, you have to make sure that that set piece functions. And set piece is scrums and set piece is line outs. And the, the loose forwards have got, to, have got to be involved in that. It's point okay, of saying, so well, we're a carrier or I'm a fetcher. I'm not going to worry about scrum time. Um, okay. it, it so doesn't, I, it doesn't I agree work. with that. Um, and you hear a lot of coach, coaches often say they talk about 16 feet. So obviously everyone has to work as one unit at a scrum for argument's sake. But what I'm referring to is um, not first phase. You're looking second, third, if whichever teams can, can go further, 18, 19 phases. Um, if your tights are obviously the ones in years gone by to take the ball up and secure a breakdown or whatever for your Lucy's to, to play around with, that specific role, and not necessarily the first phase ball, has, has that changed over the years? <sighs> Mark, I think the I think the game has gotten so advanced. Um, mm. Yes, you've you, you've got your idea of what you want to do of a first and second phase, but even if you go carry on from your third, fourth, fifth phase, if each player has got a specific position on the field, um, I don't think that well, you're tight five, you go clean six and seven, you wait behind and just hope for the best and get a ball. Um, you've got your role, you've got your position on the field. That yes, you you've got your plan first and second phase, but from there on. You work into certain areas of the field. It's not certain people has to do a job for me to get the ball. Um, so it's it's not a fact of I'm locked. You do this, flanked. You can do this. It's it's where you find yourself in the field, and you need to fulfil your position. Then it's not someone else's responsibility to do something first, and then you can benefit from that. You, you see, Mark <coughs> forwards do think. I'm, I'm I'm glad to see. Um, you see, they do think. So that was. <laughs> That was that was going to be my next question to you, Jeff, as a coach. Um, is that is that what you coach your forwards as well? So yeah. so for the for the, the 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 people out there that might not know the word like game plan or whatever, is that part of your yes. game plan? Is that part of your setup? That's that's how it works, Mark. And I think I think the game is going that way. I think the days of tight five scrumming, standing up, walking towards the next scrum, or perhaps jogging towards the next scrum, those. Those days, unfortunately, have gone. We're playing towards game plans now where at any specific time, um, a four, a five, a one, a two, or three, they, they have got a specific area on the field where they need to be. Um, be it on the left-hand side of the field, be it middle, depending on the pattern you're playing. Um, they, they know where they need to be at a certain time. And we practice that day in and day out. It's where they're supposed to and be. It's, and, and where they're supposed to be. Whether it's, whether it's walk-through, whether it's run-through, whether it's captain's run. We, are, we, we do it all the time ad nauseum so that the players know where they need to be at every moment of that game. So, so when you say that, when, watch, when one watches rugby on television, um, and now, as I said, we refer to the Pro 14 and, 
and so forth. Um, is that why, in general play, you would find, for argument's sake, now a hooker will throw into the line-out, and there will be four or five phases being played, and they come back to the side where the line-out was just, and that hooker will still be in those stem lines. Is that why you are referring to what you're saying? So yeah. that's how it's changed. When in the olden days, the hooker would have followed play. Pretty much, Mark. You, you hate, you'd hate to call... <clears throat> You hate to want to call rugby a prescribed game, but it really is going that way now, where where the things are prescribed, where you've got to you've got to be at a certain area, at a certain type. We, nobody wants to be that coach that 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 um, forces you to play in any specific way. There, there's there's a lot to be said for play what's in front of you. There really is, but that only comes playing in what's in front of you only comes and will only effectively come once. You have done, or your, your job as a player has been done effectively, and you have broken down defenses that they can't defend what you are throwing at them anymore. Then you can play what's in front of you, but that doesn't play what's in front of you doesn't happen immediately. It doesn't, unfortunately, because things have become I, that prescribed. Can I now. just get back to to uh, position specific? All of this said, now um, you guys mentioned that there's not much of a difference between six and seven. Um, you also said the physical attributes, there's not too much between the three positions, hooker, six and seven. Um, but is there something that will make a player a better six or a better seven, in your opinion, Jeff? I think it's what you're born to do, really. Um, it sounds daft me saying this, but you, it's, it's, it, be, becoming a fetcher becomes, if we, if we use that term, it's it's difficult to coach somebody to becoming something like that. You you can you can either do it or you can't. To to get somebody to carry a ball okay. effectively, that's a lot easier. Okay, but so you say uh, being being a fetcher, being a number six. I yeah, that's, yeah, that's 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 being a number that's, six. You'll say that's more that's, that that's more of a natural attribute. A natural attribute. Forget okay, forget so body size. I've seen you get you get the Heineken Brasos that are yes. that are your small sort of bulldog pit bull type player yes. if you want. You get you get bigger bigger players. Richie McCaw is by by no means a short squat man, but he he worked his butt off to get where he needed to at certain areas of the field, and he was a good bigger player. I think it's just what you are born to do. Well, I think he was he was one of the the the, the special guys that could play six and seven. Yeah, he could wear play both both those jerseys, and he played both yeah. of them. I think of someone like Michael Hooper as well. He yes. can he can fill both roles yeah, as well. Both he can roles be a as good well. ball carrier, strong ball carrier, okay. where. He can be a good ball fetch as well. To come back to what Jeff said now, where you asked, is there something that makes you stand out? Yeah. I think it's what you're confident in. Um, mm. if, I'm, if I'm more confident in as a hooker to do lineouts and scrums and, and I can go play six, but I'm not confident in, in, in carrying a ball or stealing or stuff like that, yeah. I think it's you'll stand out more in, in what you're confident in. So if I'm confident in lineouts, I'm going to stand out more as a hooker than what I'm standing out as a flank. Yeah. If I'm more confident in carrying a ball than rather stealing a ball. Yes. I'm going to be more confident in being a blindside flank than what I'm going to be an open side flank. I think it's more your confidence in what you, you, you have in yourself to do that specific job better that, that makes you stand out in a certain specific position. Okay. As if, I, if I can just mention there as well, I think yeah. all rugby players are born thinking that they are ball carriers. So I don't think I don't think that is a is a natural thing that, that you need to throw a ball to someone. Let's say it's Kevin and say, Kevin, I want you to carry the ball because that's what players do. That's why we play rugby. We want to make contact. I think the difference as well is um, in a in a true out and out fetcher and, and Jeff 
both Jeff and, and Kevin will come in here to, to either agree or disagree with me. I think one of the standout factors that they have got in the artillery, and you are born with that because you need to read a game, is timing. You need to identify how you're going to go into that into that breakdown, whether you are in time to steal or to slow down or whatever the case might be, or step out because you're going to be at the next one. Jeff mentioned earlier to say that um, depending on who he plays against, they will set targets as to which ruck or breakdown they're going to be targeting. Um, and I think as a fetcher, the out-and-out fetchers, they are like your Jack Russells. They are on top of that ball when you think you're still placing it and they got their hands on the ball. And I think for me, that is one of the, the outstanding things between a born fetcher and someone that you're trying to convert. Yeah, okay. Can I just correct you there, Mark? I think, sure. I think all rugby players are born thinking that they're the next Nas Because if you get to a rugby field, every single light is kicking to the poles. Every single yeah, one of them are kicking. Don't worry, I've even had Kevin Buck kick a football on our field. <laughs> I did it so successfully. I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I tried that once, and, and, and were you there when I pulled the hamstring? I was trying to kick it over from uh, the halfway line for Jeff, a case of beer. It happens every um, week. <laughs> as a, as no, really a coach, did. Jeff, as a coach, Jeff still suffers from this kicking uh, forward kicking syndrome because at every single practice, even to this day, at the ripe age of 21, he still tries to place kick before every training session. And so I can still belt it further than you. <laughs> 100%. Thank you, gentlemen. Jeff, Kevin, thank you, thank you for the insight in, in the position of hooker and flank. Um, I'm sure everybody will have a better understanding of where we are and will definitely look at those positions in a different view watching the game going forward. Yeah, I just think people need to keep in mind that it's not always every game is going to be the same thing. You have to look for the same yes, thing. Definitely. The game evolves so quickly and so so rapidly. It just There's new things that happen every single year, every game as you go carry on. So it's just primary roles for flanks and hookers that we maybe spoke about now, but there's always new things to add on as you carry on. Yes. I'm just glad to be talking rugby again, cheapest. It's been a while. It definitely has. It's been a while, yeah. And <laughs> I think so we, I think we all, we all keen to get back, get back on the. Park I'm so unfit at the moment. Yeah. I've been getting tired of talking been, rugby. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah. But yeah, thank you guys. It was nice. Thank you, gentlemen. From my side as well. Thanks for for accepting the invite. Um, obviously, we'll push on your buttons again going forward. Jeff, you will obviously be in studio next week again to, to tackle the balance of the forwards. And Kevin, for yourself, um, for next season when you guys are back on the park, all the best. Thanks, Mark. Now for some sad news again. Unfortunately, Peter Cronier passed away this week. Uh, Peter, former Golden Lion and Sharks, Natal Sharks. Uh, Peter played against the All Blacks in 1970, made his debut and played in a test against France in 1971. Our condolences go to Peter's family and friends, and very sad to say goodbye to another rugby great. Then the New Zealand All Black team was announced as well, and some surprises and some not surprises. There's seven returned All Blacks and seven new caps. One that stood out for me personally is the inclusion of Caleb Clark. Um, Caleb at wing in the mold of a Jonah Lomo. Maybe not as big, but definitely quicker and with better skills. Um, Caleb steps quite well and his ball skills are phenomenal. 
Something quite interesting that I heard yesterday was an interview between or with Caleb and his father, Irony Clark, that played for the All Blacks at center. And Caleb mentioned there that he was in primary school in around about grade 6-7 playing rugby for his school's first team and he wanted to learn more about the All Blacks. And he went to the school's library and he got a book there of the All Blacks. Picked up the book and he opened it up and on the first page is a photo of his father. And he's like, my father was an All Black. At that age, being 12, 13 years old, he didn't know that his father played for the All Blacks. He took out the book and he went home and he said to his dad, were you really an All Black? And then for the first time, his father actually took out all the memorabilia. All the clippings, his jerseys, and he told his son that he actually was an All Black. Now that, to me, just shows you the character of a father not to put pressure on a son to play a certain sport. And I think that is absolutely phenomenal. And now this boy has grown to become an All Black in his own right, and not because of his father that pushed him to be there. No, I agree with that. Um, if you have a look at any sport, not just, not just rugby, obviously, any sport, it's always like that. The parents are very passionate. Um, there's a saying that goes that some parents push their kids hard because they themselves could never make it um, in a specific code or whatever. But, you know, to, to become an All Black, there's there's lots of tradition, there's a lot of pressure and so forth. And, you know, if you're only did that because he didn't want to put his son through that, um, all that's off, that's off to him um, for whatever his reasons were. But, um, you know, I think as a youngster growing up in New Zealand, that is the ultimate jersey that you want to put on so um and now he's he's taken the world by storm this youngster is is a big boy he's difficult to 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 tackle to contain he's got good ball skills you know we you refer to jonah lomo now he obviously isn't jonah lomo's height but he's as probably as powerful as he is he's a lot stockier and shorter but he brings in skills skill sets that that jomo didn't have you know jonah used to Go over his over his opponent more often than not. Where this guy steps and he and he passes around the corner and you know things like that. So um, New Zealand have always produced proper proper uh, rugby players and and wingers and so forth. And I mean they've got an abundance of these guys and he's just one of them. So yeah. back to him, he's he's really played well in in their Super Rugby since since lockdown. Um, and yeah, we're gonna have to look after him. Yeah, something else that came out there, Mark, was that. Um the coaches, Ian Foster and uh, John Plumtree, who was involved in the Sharks previously, uh, both of them mentioned that the selection was focused on bigger, stronger players forwards to take on South Africa and England specifically. Your views? Well, it, it, it makes sense. Um, to what they're saying for the simple reason their skill levels have always been I won't say superior but definitely at the top um, leading leading the world in rugby as to attacking play and offloads and so forth and I think where they're coming from is the, the previous World Cup where they lost to England in the semi-final and then obviously us handsomely beating England in the, in the final and they were solely beaten at the breakdowns with England's bigger, uh, more physical forwards. And traditionally, South Africa have always had 
bigger and, and physical forwards, whether it's at the breakdowns, cleaning rucks or carrying the ball or so forth, where they come with more agile players and offset and offloads. And I mean, their props and, and, and locks run and pass like our backline do. So I can understand that. And, and that's a facet that they obviously identified and, and good for them. Um, if you just go back to the World Cup final, scrum-wise alone, where South Africa dismantled England from, I think it was the second scrum, if not the first one, um, and that is specifically to where they've gone. So um, I, I, I tend to agree with that. You know, they've got, it's like the Fijians. I mean, the Fijians are all big-sized rugby players, whether they props or, or fullbacks, and they can all run, they can all pass far, they don't need offload short so I think they're moving in the right direction and and that's obviously targeting South Africa and England and I mean I think that's a feather in South Africa's cap as well you know that uh, we are being looked at to say we other than take us away from world uh, world champions at the moment but we are the leaders when it comes to forward play so it's great. Mark I don't want to I don't want to talk across purposes but they're saying that they want to target South Africa then they're targeting is if you if we use the selection of clock specifically he's an outside back then they are they not sacrificing sacrificing perhaps a bit of speed and agility because if they're going to target us they've got to target us in the fours as you mentioned um yeah, but if, no. if they want to if they want to take something away from us they're going to have to beat our outside backs um, and so, we've got so. we've got some of the more some of the more blitz outside backs around it's pointless. Yeah, no. It's pointless trying to take us on with 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 strength and power. You're also going to need you're also going to need speed and agility to do that. No. So so what they're referring to is um, specifically the forwards. Um, their backs are obviously set in that. This this clock, Caleb Clark that we're referring to, he's quick enough. He's he's in the same. I think he's stronger though, but he's in the same mould as as Cheslin Colby. If it's fair enough to put him there, so he's also skillful and he's also got a good step and whatever. But what Kass is talking about is they are specifically talking about the forwards to, yes. to try and nullify us at the breakdowns and so forth. So um, that's where they're going. So they, 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 the rest of their makeup will stay as is, but they're trying to get the more uh, skillful and, and, and bigger forwards to try and contest wherever it is against us in England. I don't want to be, I don't want to sound controversial, but I think where they're trying to target us is. Uh, on our so-called bomb squad. That's why they want to reduce the number of replacements. And they, yeah, can they can target us in they can target us in the game all they like. So I think it's the replacements make the difference. And um, I think they're going to have to have the replacements to do it. And I think they want to stop us putting on a fresh pack because I think that was England's undoing. Is when no, I think we, we, I we think stuck on all those extra correct. forwards and those acts didn't quite know it them. World Rugby is looking at it to change the the, the so-called pack um, going forward as well and to try and nullify that from happening. Because they, wouldn't have, they wouldn't have done that if South Africa had lost that game. No, no, no probably. Yeah, and put that on air, though. Why not? I hope some of my, hope some of my English friends are listening. <laughs> then, just something else that happened this week as well. Um, the cancellation of the sevens tournaments in New Zealand, Hamilton, and Australia and Sydney. That now means that there's three or four tournaments cancelled up until January next year. Your uh, it's 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 sad, obviously, from a from a rugby perspective. We all want to want to see the the game that we love. Um, obviously, COVID nineteen has has changed the world, so there are reasons for that. 
Um, it has a massive effect, though, on the Olympics that is going to be in, I think it's July next year, so from a preparation point of view. Yes. Um, so much so that there's, I think, $2.5 million or whatever that they've put towards um, the Olympics, and we'll speak about that a little bit later on. But uh, it's taken an effect across the world because, as you said now, the Australian and New Zealand legs have been cancelled. Obviously, South Africa and, and um, Dubai were cancelled yes. earlier. Yes. Um, but I also think it's it, it, they had such an impact in, in world rugby that I'm, I'm not sure if, if you guys are aware of this, that Wales have actually pulled their sevens team out of the tournament completely. And um, they, they don't, they, obviously, they're not going to pull them out permanently for whenever it is, but for whatever it's worth for the next few months or possibly years. I thought they were struggling to fill the team. <laughs> yes, <laughs> unfortunately. So they, they have pulled their, their players out of the circuit as well. So it has a ripple effect, um, but it's gonna, I think it's going to impact all the countries come, come Olympic Games. Yes, definitely. And I think everybody's focus is now on the Olympic, Olympic Games in July next year. Definitely. And all the money is going to be directed in that direction as well. Now, for the, for the tournaments being cancelled now completely, what do you think, what's the chances of the rest of them continuing? Well, I think it depends, you know, as we've seen across, across the globe. Certain countries have, have opened to rugby being played. Um, I think it's a, it's a massive financial setback if it, if it doesn't continue. Um, I think there will probably be some sort of a setback in any case because if you look at the trend now, it's to open the stadium without spectators. So I don't know how many people they'll allow to, to be at the Olympics. Another thing that is that is going to happen now with the Olympics being moved to that specific date is obviously the Lions are touring South Africa and they have a massive following themselves. Yeah. So, um, you know, where a lot of people might have followed the guys going to, to the Olympics now, they sooner want to come to South Africa to watch the Lions play. So I think that in itself also poses a few a few yes. glitches, you know. So, I mean, if, if I just look player-wise, and I'm speaking of one specific player, South African, Cheslin Colby, um, obviously he was offered to, to go with the Springbok Sevens to the Olympics, and he represented South Africa in the last Olympics. I think we won silver there, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and he was offered to say, but now he's got a problem because the Olympics and the, and the Lions series takes place at the same time, and he op opted to, to play 15-man rugby. So, I mean, that's just one scenario. So I don't think all the all the teams at the Olympics possibly would be as strong as, as they would be without the Lions tour. But it poses, it poses new challenges, you know, and that's what COVID has done. And then I want to say thank you to everybody. Thanks for all the input. Jeff Hopper, thank you very much. Thank you. Kevin Buck, thank you very much for coming in and sharing your, your stories with us. Mark, thank you. Yeah, Gus, thanks a lot. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in again. It's always nice to share some rugby chat, um, our personal views, obviously, to everyone out there. Um, but more so to Jeff and to, to Kev. Thanks, Gus, uh, for joining us in studio for this chat and for advising everyone and your expertise as to specifics from coaching point of view or player specific and much appreciated. Thanks, Mark. Thank you for tuning in to Touchline. From me, Kasper Els and Mark Cameron, have a great rugby week.